0: And yes, we're not only in a struggle, the Bible calls it a war. We're in a war that's won, where some would say we're in a fight, but it's fixed. We know that we overcome because Christ overcame. Turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. What God is doing in this house and he has houses all over this community all over this city the state country in the world called churches there's one church but thousands and thousands of locations and when the church gets together We get together, as elders said, to encourage one another and to be reminded of the war that we are in, a war, again, that is already won. I want to let you know a little something here before we get into the word. I want to follow up on our worship leaders' admonition. When we talk about the holiness of God, We're talking about the fact that he is distinct, unique, set apart, completely transcendent from anything and anyone we could ever know. Yet by his grace, he has made himself knowable to sinful people who have no business having a relationship with such an awesome, majestic, and glorious being. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is love, love, love. Now it does say he is love. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is grace, grace, grace. We know that he is grace and gracious. But in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, we see that God is called holy, holy, holy. His foremost attribute. He's distinct. He's unique. He is set apart. He is unlike anyone or anything we could ever know or imagine. But he came to us. So that he could bring us back into fellowship with himself through Jesus Christ. Who through his sacrifice on the cross became sin for us. He took our place so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So there was this transference that occurred. Jesus the just died for us the unjust. That we might be brought near to God. And the reason why worship is so important, that we just don't get up here and sing a couple of songs to start the service so that we can have space for people who come late, you know, be able to slip in. No, we start with worship because we're in a war and we worship a holy God. And when you think about strategies in the Old Testament, Children of Israel had 12 tribes. And when they would get into a camp, this was before they had the temple and they had the tabernacle and they would go from place to place trying to attain what God had promised as far as the promised land. They would camp in a specific manner. All 12 tribes would camp around the Holy of Holies or the meeting place. And whenever they would break Camp Strong's Hour, and they would begin to march out. They marched out in order, and every time, every time because God prescribed it, the tribe of Judah would go first. Of all the tribes, Judah would always go first. And we learned last week through the dedication that Jude or Judah means praise. So when they would break camp and many times go into war, Judah or praise would go first. Because sometimes the Bible records that some of the battles were won simply because they acknowledged the awesomeness of God and began to praise him. So when we start church with praise and worship, I want you to have a warrior's mindset that this is part of the warfare. That worship is simply my prayers put to song. they my prayers put to song. And we're able to overcome the enemy, not only by the blood of Jesus, but by the word of our testimony and by the prayers that we pray. That's why we enter into his courts with thanksgiving, and we enter into his house with praise. So I want us, as we continue to grow as disciples of Jesus, to recognize that we are men and women who are soldiers of Christ, and one of our weapons is praise and worship. And as you pray for me, don't forget to pray for Jewel, our musicians, our singers. Because if you can't start out right, it can have an effect on the rest of us who are marching behind. So begin your day, not just on Sundays, with praise and worship. Let's make it a habit, let's begin our days before we go out the door. Or as we go out the door, let's sing and have a song of praise to God, because that allows us to overcome. All right. I just wanted to say that that part was for free. This part, there's a fee on this part here that's coming up, all right? Philippians chapter 4. Let us pray. Lord, it's a beautiful thing to gather and to feel warm inside. There's so much love in this house, so many relationships that have been built and forged over the years that it's always good to see your people. It's always good to laugh and be together. And Some of us after church will eat together. But Lord, may we not forget that not only are we a household of faith, not only are we your body, but we are in an army. We are in a fight, and it's a spiritual fight first and foremost. Help us to be reminded of that, to not forget that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And we can wrestle with them as we do so in your name, O Lord, and in the strength that you provide. Acknowledging who we are as we dress ourselves in the armor of God. And one of those pieces is the word of God. Lord, at this time we're coming to the word so that we may in the strong tower be able to wage a better warfare. Thank you, Lord, for welfare that we've come into the house and we've been encouraged. Now give us a word that we can wage a good warfare. Warfare. When we leave this house, we give you the praise, for we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. Today I want to speak on the most memorized verse of scripture in all of modern Christendom. That's what I want to do today. I want to speak about one verse in its context, of course, that you'll find written on bumper stickers, on people's bodies as tattoos, or on t-shirts. No, I'm not talking about John 3.16. That's a famous one as well. You'll see that at football games. When people are trying to kick a field goal and they'll hold up John 3.16 in the back. Now, I'm not talking about that one. But I'm talking about Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, People love that verse because it's short, but yet it's very powerful. So although something may come in a small package... To my uh, height challenge folk, that don't mean that there's not power in the smaller package. Philippians 4.13, people love it. It's easy to memorize. And athletes in particular love Philippians 4.13. Right before they play a game, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of the football players will get the black stuff put on their face, and they may then put inside of the black stuff in white Philippians 4.13 like Tim Tebow. Uh, They step up to the plate. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Then they hit a home run and win the game, and they give God all the praise at the press conference. Athletes love this. In the weight room, I can bench press. I can do my personal best today. I can do it through Christ who gives me the strength. I can coach this team, I can lead this school, because people in education also use Philippians 4.13, uh, especially when it's time to take a test. Uh, I can pass this test through Christ who gives me the strength. Did you study? No, I got faith. I can pass this test. I can do it. I can do it through Christ who gives me the strength. And I would dare to say that most of us who quote Philippians 4.13 don't understand the context surrounding it by which it was said. And I have a strange feeling that Paul wasn't necessarily thinking about football when Philippians 4.13 was written. I have a strange feeling that he wasn't thinking about how to make it through school and graduate. Even though those, that verse can be used in those situations, I I, I suggest there's so much more to Philippians 4.13 than that. Which is why I've entitled this brief message today, Philippians 4.13, Unleashed. (laughs) Let's unleash this oh so familiar verse of scripture. Now if the key to being a real estate agent Or buying real estate is location then the key to Bible interpretation is context I'm gonna say it one more time the key to hermeneutics or the science of interpreting the Bible there is a way to read as well as to interpret the Bible that's called hermeneutics that context is the most important principle of interpreting the Bible So we just don't lift a verse out of its context. We do our best to read it and understand it within its context so that I'm not trying to apply something that God never meant for it to be applied that way. So help me, Lord, to understand what Paul meant when he wrote what he wrote. So let's begin at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Written by a man who's in jail in A.D. 61 and he's writing a church that he planted on his second missionary journey the first church planted in Europe but he's in jail on his way to Rome and he writes to this church and he says to them from jail verse 10 but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. So the jailbird said, I want to thank you, Philippian Church, for caring for me. Because while he was in jail, the church had sent to Paul Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was one of the leaders in the church, or a servant leader in the church, and he came to see Paul while he was in jail. And he brought with him a gift from the church, That Paul said, I believe down in verse 18, he said, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things, I love the S on there, sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So while the apostle was in jail, Epaphroditus comes with things to give to him. In other words, Paul received a care package, and isn't it always good to get a care package? And he says that it was a sweet-smelling aroma, so maybe Epaphroditus stopped by Bed Bath & Beyond and got a good-smelling candle from up out of there or something. Bath & Body Works, it's always good to have a candle, but uh, sometimes men don't always like candles the way our wives and our ladies like candles. Father's Day is coming, you've got time to be creative but you just might get socks again like you got last year. Oh, man. But the things, Paul said, that came from this church, that God smelled the gift, and it was a pleasing aroma to him because people were taking care of his apostle, and it's always good to get a care package from the people of God. You see, God takes care of his people many times, not every time but he takes care of his people through other people. Wow. Which is why when we, when we give, we are most like God. For God so loved the world that he what? Yeah. He gave. So when you love people, you give to them, especially sacrificially to them. And so many times, because God wants us to be like him, he puts us in situations where we can give the way that he gives. Now, watch this. Don't miss this. God is the source of all gifts, but he will use people as resources through whom the gift comes. So when we give to someone, when we give to someone that's hurting, someone who's in need, we are the resource. We are not the source. So therefore, we don't need to take the praise. We don't need to take the credit. We don't need to take the glory. We were just a conduit, a vessel through whom God moved. When God says give, you give because you recognize that all the stuff you have comes from God and it all belongs to him anyway. So the church said we need to give something to Paul. And so when God blesses you, he wants to be a blessing through you to other people who have a need. When was the last time you showed some care? and gave someone a gift with no strings attached and, once again, not looking for a pat on the back. When's the last time you just showed some kindness to someone? One of the fruits of the Spirit that we'll study on Wednesday, that the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, that you can be kind to someone and just bless them just because, but especially if they're suffering under extenuating circumstances like being in prison. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So Paul received this care package from this church and they helped him before because in verse 15, he says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, they had the reputation of being a giving church. For even in Thessalonica, verse uh, 16, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. Thank God for preachers that ain't out for the gift. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Because when you give to me, God's going to give back to you. And then he's going to say in verse 19, and I'm going to pray that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You took care of me, and I'm going to ask God to take care of you. Because when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. When you take care of his man, God will bless you. When you bless his woman, God will bless you. Because God always makes sure that his ministers are taken care of. Now, God takes care of all of us. He causes the rain and the sun to fall and shine on the just and the unjust. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. God gives all of us all the oxygen we need, everything we need, because in him we live and move and have our being. But he also makes sure that the men and women who accepted his call to go into the ministry are taken care of. Now, getting into the ministry isn't for people who are seeking the lights and the glamour, and the, because I'm here to let you know, the same lights that shine on you are the same lights that can burn you if you're not careful. The same people that say, oh, Hosanna, will turn around and say, crucify the next day. So you don't get into the ministry for all of that, and you surely don't get into it for the money, but people get into the ministry, often reluctantly, because God is calling them, and when they get into the ministry, God takes care of them. And I am a witness that God takes care of me, and many times God will take care of me through his resources called people. Don't hate, just say praise the Lord, because sometimes people hate. Man, why pastor get that kind of gift? I just got a book this morning from Dustin Cocktar, and, and what is it, baby? It's called Rest in Power, and it's the book written by Trayvon Martin's parents, and I can't wait to read that. She's showing it like she's Vanna Black or somebody. <laughs> praise god because what a lot of people don't see when you're in the ministry are those lonely moments when you're wondering why did i get in this thing in the first place Uh oh he called me so i couldn't say no there are moments when you want to quit but you can't quit because you are called and god will sometimes before a prophet Or a pastor preaches a message, he makes the prophet or the pastor become the message. Oh, my goodness. You will become a walking billboard of what he wants to say. And so when you're in the ministry, you need God's people to take care of you because it can be tough and arduous to do this thing. Paul is being taken care of here by the Galatians. Uh, by the Philippians. But later, when he ministers to the Galatians, the Bible says that uh, they wish that they could have taken their very eyeballs out and given them to Paul because he may have had some kind of uh, malady with his eyes. He couldn't see. He would say, my, look at the large letters I'm writing with. And so, bro, man, before spectacles came and and, and bifocals, he, he was struggling. And so the church of Galatia said, oh, Paul is blind as a bat. I wish we could give him our eyes. And so there are churches like that that have a heart for those who lead. We can't forget Elijah, who was taken care of by a resource, a widow, who was going out to make her last meal, and God commanded that widow to take care of his prophet. And the prophet said to the widow, as long as you take care of me, God is going to take care of you. Now, there are a lot of preachers, again, who misuse these kinds of things in Scripture, But we nevertheless have to preach the truth, even though the truth has been abused from time to time. Then there was Elisha. There were some people who built a room on the side of their house so Elisha could stay there. Oh my, if anybody has that idea, go ahead and build a pastoral wing at your crib and and I'll just come by every now and then. Jerry will come by every now and then and kick our shoes off. They won't smell like corn chips, at least for me, Jerry, I don't know about you, and we'll just chill in your house. Man, Esther had somebody take care of her. When she got into that beauty pageant, one of the eunuchs said, honey, let me teach you and show you what you need to know before you go into the king. And because he told her that he took care of her with wisdom, she ended up getting selected. Of course, God sovereignly chose, but he used a resource that was a eunuch who helped Esther out. But then we can't forget Daniel, who also had a eunuch assist him when he said, don't give us anything to eat, I'm not going to eat the king's food. Give us vegetables. And that eunuch looked out for Daniel and took care of him. And then there was a who made sure that Jeremiah, the prophet, was pulled up out of the cistern. What am I saying? God knows how to take care of his ministers of the gospel. And he always raises up people. There was a guy who hid a hundred prophets in a cave to protect them from Jezebel. God always raises up somebody. To bless and take care of his leaders is called favor. And I want to thank all of you over the years, over our nearly 22 years, who have looked out for me and for my family, who would put something in my hand, past appreciation, or give me a gift card to take my wife to dinner, or give something to my children. We just want to say thank you. We do not take it for granted. Uh, We know where it ultimately comes from. But you had to say yes to to the Lord in order to bless us. And we just want to say thank you. Paul said, y'all took care of me. He said, this time, y'all lacked an opportunity. I know you wanted to do it, but something came up in the way. Verse 11, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? content. So this man is in jail encouraging us to rejoice. He's got more joy behind bars than most of us have walking around free because his joy did not come from circumstances. His joy came from Jesus. And Jesus is in control of all circumstances, good and bad. So he had joy, which also allowed him to be content. To be content means that you are peacefully satisfied when you're content I am peacefully satisfied and this man is in jail for something that he did not do or something he did not deserve to be uh, uh, incarcerated over so there are people in jail who are innocent of the charges that have brought been brought against them. there are people in our penal system today who have had charges brought against them that were unjust unrighteous And unworthy of the sentences that were placed upon men and women so Paul he was in jail for something he didn't do yet he was still peacefully satisfied because he recognized that his times were not in the hands of the magistrate but his times were in the hands of the king of all kings and nothing would come to Paul unless they first came through the hands of the king so nothing in his life happened by accident only by providence, even being jailed unjustly, so therefore he could be content or peacefully satisfied. Paul is content because he knows that God is in control and God cares for him. And when we learn this secret, Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I'm satisfied. Because God doesn't make mistakes. I make a whole bunch of them, but he doesn't make a mistake. So let me be content or peacefully satisfied. Because when you are content, you don't have to panic. Uh, Let me take y'all back 17 years ago when Y2K was upon us. Y'all panicked. Y'all thought everything was going to crash. So you went out and bought all kind of potted meats and and tents and bottled water and all that stuff because you thought it was going to crash, you was going to lose everything. But some of us who not only know God, but uh, grew up in poverty, we weren't afraid about the lights going out because the lights have gone out on us before. (laughs) We weren't afraid about what we would eat because we've eaten bologna sandwiches and even wish sandwiches before. Where well, you wish you had some meat between this bread. You, you weren't afraid of poverty or stuff like that. But the people who weren't used to that, they panicked. But no, 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 no. That's why Paul says, I've learned how to be content. Because in a moment, the next verse, he's like, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. That's why it's good. If you have never been on the mission field and you are blessed with wealth, it's good to go on the mission field, especially to what we call a third world country to see how most of the world lives. Most of the world doesn't live like we live here in Davidson County or at least portions of Davidson County. But, but, but we also don't have to go to the third world. We can go to certain neighborhoods and communities right here because a lot of churches are good at going overseas, but they won't go next door. A lot of churches are good at going next door, but they won't go overseas. But Jesus says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. One of the best ways to help your marriage if it's struggling is to take a missions trip to a third world country where folk have less, but they sure have more God. And and, and you can work your little stuff out when you go somewhere and see some other people struggling. And you can learn the secret of contentment. And so Paul said, man, I've learned to be content because when we are content strong tower we'll complain less if I find myself complaining a lot that means I'm not peacefully satisfied or content and if I complain a lot that means I'm making an indictment against the goodness of God the sovereign will of God that God doesn't know what he's doing in my life so now I'm complaining God doesn't want me to complain he wants me to be content which is why you've got to hook contentment up with verse 6 of Philippians 4, where Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication. You see, when I'm not praying, that means I'm anxious. And when I'm anxious, that means I'm not content. But when I am praying, anxiety can't stay. And when I am praying and even giving thanks, they go that worship stuff again. All of a sudden now, I'm content because I just worship and talk to a God who's in control of all things. So now I can chill in the cut and not worry, man. Come on, baby, chill out. Paul, he didn't complain. He was not a spiritual diva. He didn't need somebody to carry his Bible for him or somebody to carry out orange juice for him. I would go to churches, you know, growing up, and somebody come carry the Bible out for the kids. Why can't you carry your own Bible? If you need some orange juice to drink, let your wife bring you some orange juice. Here come them sisters with the orange juice being a diva man get out of here when we're content we won't compare we won't compare because we recognize that what we have is what we're supposed to have from god no matter what i look like where i live how much money i make what kind of job i have look when i'm content and i recognize that it comes from god i don't need to compare with somebody else Because if I'm not content, I'll start comparing. If I start comparing, I'll start coveting. (laughs) Let me bring it on back. Y'all got quiet on me. I know it's 12 o'clock. You want to leave? But it's Memorial Day. You know, come on now. You you, you off tomorrow. Hold on. I ain't going to go much longer. Paul did not compare himself to Peter. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. They recognized that they were different and both of their ministries were needed. No need to compare to other people because if you compare to other people, you'll also covet what other people have, which means that you're not content with what you have. You're not peacefully satisfied. You think God made a mistake with the husband that you have or the wife that you have. Now, even if you pick your spouse God still has this grace that could, because sometimes we pick the person that God wouldn't pick for us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm treading somewhere now. I'm, I'm, I'm on quicksand right now. But once you get into his covenant, he gives you the grace to work it through even if you didn't wait on him for the one that he had for you. Oh, man. it's quite, Oh, Lord. I, Chelsea, throw me a lifeline. I'm out here. <laughs> he can still work it out. It's called his permissive will but a lot of people will get out of that one to get into another one, and, uh, and then you just keep creating a mess. No, no, dance with the one you're married to. Dance all the way till death. Not a dance of death. Dance to death, okay? Hey, man, don't covet somebody else's spouse, because you don't know what they're like at home. <laughs> oh, man. You see them out, and they look so good, and you, oh, if I was with her or with him, you don't know what it's like to be with her or him. Somebody said the grass is green on the other side. Well, the grass sometimes on the other side is artificial. Sometimes the grass on the other side, they pay a whole lot more for the water bill. Yeah. Don't you want what somebody else has? Be thankful yeah. for who you have. <laughs> when you're content, you won't cover somebody else's house. You won't cover somebody else's car. You won't cover somebody else's job, their money, and a pastor won't cover somebody else's church. <laughs> Man, I've been around here long enough to see every church become the it church. Brentwood Baptist, the it church. Christ Community, the it church. You go down and list everybody, and, and, and they start growing, and the pastors look at it as if, you know, growing is only related to numbers. Uh, that can be so superficial. No, a growing church is an effective church regardless of the numbers. And, but, but sometimes as pastors, we look, oh boy, look, look at Church of the City. Look at West Harpeth. Look at Bethel. Look at Zion. Man, start looking at Jesus and stop looking at these people, man. Because watch it. That's the it church today. They're going to be the it church tomorrow. They're going to leave this church, go to that church. They're going to leave that church, go to that church. Hey, man, we are the church. Get over that stuff, and let's move on for Jesus. Because if you're not content, you won't be satisfied. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, contentment comes when we trust God. To be content, John Mason, means that we accept the bad things because we know all things work together for good. So, so, so I'm content. I may not like what I'm going through, but the God who's in control of all things can and will turn it around. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but he's got me. Yeah, he to be content means you accept where you are because you know this isn't where you'll always be. So we come now to verse 12. Paul says, I know how to be abased. In other words, I, I know how to live poor. And I know how to abound. I know how to live with a silver spoon. Because as an apostle, I go out on the mission field, and sometimes I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Other times I go into a church, and they just take care of me, man. I go through all of these different experiences, which is why he says everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full. I know how to handle success because I understand what a lack of success is. I also know how to handle when I'm not successful because I know what it's like to be successful. God's given me this balance that comes through experience because I've been out there. I haven't been in a bubble. I've gone out into the world. He says, I know what it's like to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hmm. What is he saying here? What is he saying? Paul is saying, I can do all things. Or put it this way, I can do all extremes. I can do all variables. I can do up through Christ. I can do down through Christ. I can do good seasons through Jesus. I can do hard seasons through Jesus. I can do jail through Jesus. I can do freedom through Jesus. I can do acceptance through Jesus. I can do rejection through Jesus. This same man says, I can do shipwreck through Christ. I can do floggings through Christ. I can do beatings through Christ. I can do stonings through Christ. I can do it through Christ. Why? Because he gives me the strength. And so if Paul can do the extremes of life, especially the hard extremes, then surely I can do Mondays through Christ. Who gives me the strength? We built Monday of oh it's Monday. That was a short weekend. Already in our mind, we're climbing a hill that we made from a mole hill, a mountain that we made from a mole hill. But we can do Mondays. I can do sickness through Christ. I can do pain through Christ. I can do a dull marriage through Christ. I can do infertility through Christ. I can do loneliness if I'm single through Christ. I can do divorce through Christ. I can do widowhood through Christ. I can do unemployment through Christ. I can do old age through Christ. I can do ministry through Christ. George Washington Carver said, just start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. That's what the peanut man said. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Because when you have done all that you can, God will do all that you can't. Because he gives strength to the weak. I can do this stuff, this hard stuff through Christ who gives me the strength. Because where my strength runs out, that's when his strength kicks in. And he likes it best when I'm weak. Because when I'm weak, in him I can be strong. But if I think it's all about me, I'll be independent and think I don't need him. But no, we all need him. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, how much money you have, how many people you know, you still need the Lord. It's not about you, but it's about the one you choose to give access to so that he can do it through you. There was a boy in a sandbox, and he's playing in a sandbox He's about five years old. And while he's playing in the sandbox, he comes across a boulder. Somebody put a boulder in the sandbox. And so he couldn't play around the boulder, so he tried to move the boulder. And he, tried, he got up under it, and he tried to move it. It was just too heavy for him. And all the while he's doing this, his father is watching from the kitchen window. He's just watching his son strain with this boulder. And, and, and he started straining, and the boulder moved. But then it came back down and fell on his finger and crushed his finger. Then he started crying. He ran into the house. Oh, daddy, daddy, I'm bleeding. I'm hurting. And the father said, what happened? He said, I was trying to move this boulder out of my sandbox. And the father said, what happened? I couldn't move it. It was too heavy for me. And the father said, well, son, did you use all your strength? And the boy says, yeah, daddy, I used all my strength. I was straining. I was struggling. He said, no, son, let me ask you again. Did you use all your strength? And the boy said, yeah, daddy, I did, I tried. And the father said, no, you didn't use all your strength because you didn't come ask me to help you. And a lot of times that's what we do. We're trying to do it, and we wonder why it can't get done, and God is saying, I'm just waiting for you to ask me to do it. I know you got a little piece of education. I know you think you're somebody, but without me, you can't do anything Jesus said in John chapter 15. Oh, another story is told by Bob Van Flutteren, when he was teaching his sons about Jesus and what it means to go to heaven. And he brought his sons over to the staircase. And the staircase went way up to the second floor. And he says, all right, boys, I want you to go from the first floor to the second floor without touching any of the stairs. Can you do it? And so his sons looked at the staircase, and, and they gave it their best try. They tried to leap all the way up, couldn't make it. One of them tried to go all the way up on the side, couldn't make it, and so they came back discouraged, saying, we can't make it from the top to the bottom without touching the stairs. How can we get up there? And then Bob says, well, this is how you can get up there. If you get on my back, I'll take you from the first floor to the second floor without you touching any of the stairs. And what the Lord is saying to a lot of us, not only about heaven, we can only go to heaven when we get on Jesus' back. We can't work our way there. He's got to carry us there through his finished work at Calvary and his triumphant resurrection. But not only that, but Jesus wants to carry us every day. But a lot of times we think we can take the stairs. And Jesus says, no, you can't take the stairs. You still got to get on my back for me to get you through every day. When's the last time you got on the Lord's back? When the last time you just asked him for some help, because I don't know any father who doesn't want to help his children, but we've got to ask our Father, ask our Savior for help. So finally, in what way do you need God to give you some strength right now? Because we all get tired, we all go through things that we wonder if we're going to make it, but God does. Strong Tower, his best strengthening in moments like these. He allows these moments so we can see how frail we are and how strong he is. He'll order up a jail cell so that you can experience contentment in jail because you know prisoners are watching you. And they've heard you preach about Jesus in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and in chapter 3. And they want to know what difference does Jesus make in chapter 4. And the man who preached Christ says I'm content because of Christ he's got this thing under control so let me relax because God does his best work in these circumstances because sometimes we wouldn't pray unless we were going through something hard sometimes we wouldn't say Lord I need your help if we thought we could lift it or do it by ourselves so he allows things to come so that we have to trust him Sometimes he does his best, strengthening in the dark. In painful moments when you don't know if you're going to make it. When Courtney shared with us about this verse after they had adopted their children, she found comfort knowing that God was with her even in those tough times and that she could make it through those tough times. He's not only the God of the mountain, he's the God of the valley. He's not only the God of the victory dance, he's the God of the struggle. And sometimes he does his best strengthening when it's dark. A friend of mine many years ago, his name is Freddie, he went to go to the Essence Music Festival in New Orleans. And he went so that he could hear the headliner, Luther Vandross. And so he went to the Essence Festival because some of his favorite songs were uh, uh, This House is not a home, never too much, and power of love. He he wanted to hear Luther say, and I think it was the big Luther, not the skinny Luther, but he went, he and his wife. And there were a bunch of acts that came, but he wasn't there for those other acts. He was there for Luther. And so the act before Luther finished up, and the way he knew that Luther was about to come was that they turned the lights on when that artist finished. And they gave everybody a brief intermission. And people are chatting and talking and things like that. Then all of a sudden, the lights went off. And when the lights went off, that was a signal that Luther was about to appear. And so it's pitch dark Nobody can see anything. The stage lights aren't even on. But all of a sudden, you heard something coming from in that direction, and there was a voice that said, Ooh. Ooh. And everybody said, Ah, it's Luther! It's Luther! Ah! They ain't seen Luther yet, but all they did was hear his voice in the dark. And we go through moments in life when it's dark. And we can't see the Lord. We don't know what's going on. We feel so weak, so discouraged. We're struggling. But I'm here to let you know that when it goes dark, that's just a sign that the Lord is about to appear. And before he manifests himself, he'll give you a word. You'll hear his voice. And he'll say to you, all things work together for good. For those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. You'll hear the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He anoints my head with oil. You'll hear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And then you'll hear. You'll hear the Lord say, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'll turn this situation around. Those who believe in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody said, I don't want to hear Luther. I need to hear Jesus. Right. Well, when you get into this word, he'll speak to you. Let's stand for prayer. Oh, my. Scott Ralston.